0: Go ahead and have a seat. Welcome to Village Church. If this is your first time here, my name's Steve, I'm one of the pastors here at Village Church. And as always, I am thankful and grateful to see each and every one of you. I do want to uh, begin by giving not not like a parental guidance warning, but I don't want you to get halfway through the sermon and and be like, "Oh my goodness, my three year old's in here." Uh, so I am going to be talking about issues of gender today. I am going to be addressing some issues of. Believe it or not, this is controversial in 2021, what it means to be male, what it means to be female. Uh, I'm going to be talking about those types of issues today. So if you would rather certain people not hear uh, this today, we have a wonderful village kids back there. Now, if they're like 18, that's going to be awkward for them uh, (laughs) to be in village kids. So let's do like an alternative thing for them. Uh, But but I do want parents to be aware. I don't want anybody to be irritated with me I'm not going to be of course graphic. Uh, That's not my way. I don't I don't like being inappropriate in public at least Um, My wife could tell you some stories. I'm sure Uh, but uh, Stephen don't say that Uh, But Actually, that's my mom that would that would say that to me actually Um, Stephen stop it uh, but we're going to be in Matthew 19, and when I first started looking through Matthew 19, kind of plotting a course through it, I was going to spend one week addressing specifically the issue of marriage and divorce, but as I got into it, I realized that to say what I want to say is going to take me uh, far longer uh, than one sermon, and so I think what God is addressing here Especially for our cultural moment, requires that we lay a foundation uh, before we even get into marriage that explains to us why marriage is the way that it is. And to do that, you have to talk about an issue that Jesus brings up, and that is the issue of what does it mean to be male? What does it mean to be female? What is Jesus talking about here in verse 4, where He's going to specifically say that from the beginning, God designed it to be a specific way. We believe in our culture wrongly that there is a spectrum of gender. Uh, Gender was a term that was coined back in the 1950s by a man who was seeking to explain a spectrum of realities, when in all actuality, that's, that's wrong. That is a falsehood. And I want to put my cards on the table today so that you can just be mad at me from the beginning if you disagree. Uh, You don't have to wait until halfway through. There are two genders. There is male and there is female. And it is assigned at birth and it is God's making that makes us male or female. Believe it or not, He doesn't give us a say. He assigns it to us, biologically speaking, which is a revelation from God. But I wanted to put that out there for you so that you can kind of begin to understand where we're going. And I want to go to a place where we understand that Jesus in Matthew 19 does what opponents of Christianity and those that would seek to liberate Christianity from God's law, Jesus addresses Every form of sexuality that exists in Matthew 19. So people that say Jesus didn't talk about homosexuality, Jesus didn't talk about transgenderism, they are wrong. What Jesus does in Matthew 19 is he names what is in those instances. Therefore, anything that would go outside of Jesus' revelation here is a falsehood, is wrong, is a lie. And so go ahead and start reading with me in Matthew 19. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, He went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed Him, and He healed them there. And Pharisees came up to Him and tested Him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? I want to pause there. The Pharisees are not seeking to be helpful with this question. The Pharisees are trying to trip Jesus up. The Pharisees had made divorce in the first century to be a very complex and complicated issue because of their sin. And so they're not coming to Jesus as if they don't know. They're not coming to Jesus as though they are ignorant. They're coming to Jesus to see if they can trip Jesus up with their complications. And so Jesus answers them. In verse 4, He answered, Have you not read... And we know right there that Jesus is about to simplify what sin makes complicated. Jesus has a tendency to simplify what you will seek to make very complicated. So what Jesus is presupposing here is that there has been a concrete for all time statement on this issue and that nothing has changed. Society has not progressed Society cannot go beyond the design of God. He's pointing backwards something to define what is currently allowable according to God's design. First, verse 4 again. Have you not read that he who created them, from when? The beginning. It's very important. From the beginning made them male and Female, I don't want to pause there. Number one this morning, Jesus refers to creation design as authoritative. Jesus refers to creation design as authoritative. So Jesus points backwards to the book of Genesis, and so that opens up another can. Jesus assumes that the book of Genesis is authoritative. That the book of Genesis is from God. If you want to start to get every issue under the sun and in life wrong, it will begin by bringing into question the validity of God's revelation in the book of Genesis. When Jesus points to the beginning, he's pointing to taking the book of Genesis literally. He's pointing to the reality that there is a creator God and there is creation and God is authoritative over every aspect of it and he revealed that authority back in the book of Genesis. And so in our time when progressive Christians who are just progressives pretending to be Christians will come in and bring into question the revelation in the book of Genesis Understand that they are doing so, so that they can undo what God has done well. They seek to be their own authority. The question isn't, can God literally have created the earth in six 24-hour periods? If Jesus could rise from the dead, of course God can create the world in six 24-hour periods. We act as though it would have been impossible for Jesus to have created a mature earth that might look older than it actually is. Well, a God that can rise from physical death can also do some other things pretty well as well. And so yes, Jesus is telling us the book of Genesis is true, but beyond that, it's not just a factual truth, it is an authoritative truth. Jesus looks at a culture that seeks to progress beyond God's design and says, Don't. You're not going anywhere helpful. You are only going to a place that is going to undo your life. Life must be viewed according to God's revelation. It must. If you don't view it according to God's revelation, how can you possibly know what truth even is? Culturally speaking, the lens through which reality is viewed has shifted very quickly over the last few years. Now, the grounding for how many define reality itself is not seen as objective. This is what we in philosophy call the correspondence view of truth. And this is an understanding that something is true only if it corresponds with reality. It is a belief that if you're saying something is true, well, then reality itself must correspond with that belief for it to be true. And in our era, this is being rejected wholesale and is being replaced with a subjective understanding of truth that is based on either narrative or an experience that doesn't have to correspond with grounded reality. If you want to know what this looks like, it's what it is meant by... My truth. So what people mean by saying, oh, that's just your truth. got some good news for you, actually. If something is my truth, well, then it has to be everyone's truth for it to be truth. The only place that rejecting the correspondence view of truth can go to is chaos. It is a a mentality that purposefully is destructive as it seeks to deconstruct existing systems of reality and authority to be replaced with subjective and experiential understandings of the world around you. This, though, is like pressing a self-destruct button. I don't know if any of you have children, but the flaw in Dr. Doofenshmirtz's uh, creations on Phineas and Ferb He always puts a self-destruct button on every one of his creations. And what happens when you press the self-destruct button? Self-destruction. You cannot deconstruct reality. You can only deconstruct your life. And there's a huge difference in those two things. Rather, you destroy yourself because it forces you to live in chaos of a personal narrative with nowhere to go but into a nihilistic meaninglessness that will ultimately leave you in despair. Parents, you have to understand that when you let your children and your teenagers toy with the thought that my narrative is authoritative or my truth is authoritative for me, you are allowing that child to set off in a a direction where 10 or 20 years from now, they will be in utter despair for their lives. You do not have the authority to deconstruct reality. None of us do, save God. God has all authority, and that is what Jesus is pointing us to here. The beauty of the Christian worldview is that it reveals to us that meaning does not have to flow, or nor can it flow, from within where there is no possibility of certainty if the meaning for your life is only sourced from your feelings, it's only sourced from inside of you, you cannot know anything for sure. You cannot be certain about anything in your life. Therefore, you will ultimately be in a chaotic place in your life. But Jesus, though, seeks to point us to objective truth. Jesus seeks to point us to a reality that is real, to a reality that is true, to a reality that everyone can and must anchor their lives into in order to understand what life is all about. He points them to the revelation of God. Jesus assumes in this statement that God's revelation is true, that God's revelation is authoritative, and that God's revelation is sufficient. And it is what is contained in the Bible. It's what is contained in God's Word. And specifically for Jesus' purposes, He's pointing to the book of Genesis. Matthew 19 begins with these large crowds following Jesus wherever He goes. Then the Pharisees come in and they try to make Jesus look bad in front of those crowds. But Jesus is very well prepared for this. Why? Because Jesus wrote the Bible. That's why. Jesus is the author of Scripture. Jesus is the one that created everything that is. Jesus is absolutely authoritative over everything in existence. And so it's very difficult to trip him up. The Pharisees had gotten what Jesus wrote wrong. And Jesus looks to them and says, I guess you didn't read my book right. From the beginning... I designed the world to function in specific ways. Jesus points them back to the very design of God in the book of Genesis. And he treats it as a very simple matter for you to believe and for you to trust. And more than that, for you to build your world around. Jesus does not begin by looking at the legal particulars of divorce Jesus doesn't look at it and say, can you get marriage wrong? Of course you can get marriage wrong. You're a sinner. You're going to get much of it wrong. But Jesus points to us and he says, even though you're going to enter into marriage as a sinner, you don't have to enter into marriage with wrong views of God's design for marriage. But where does Jesus begin with his design for marriage? He begins with two places, male and female you can assume because of where Jesus starts that if you get either of these categories wrong, you will get everything wrong. Does that seem relevant to where we are in our society right now? Yes. Do you want to understand why we are getting so much wrong in our society? Because we have created a society of sexual chaos. We have created a society that has denied the very foundations of existence and a society that trumpets trust the science. Wholesale, we've rejected the science. We kill our babies. We know they're babies. We know that they're living. We know that they're in there, yet we kill them anyway. But we will only trust the science when it appeals to our narrative that's how you know we don't have a science to trust any form of biology under the sun. If you can't get right what is a man and what is a woman, you can't be trusted. You can't. It is impossible to trust anyone with any science that cannot understand those two things. Do you want to understand why no one trusts the CDC? Because now they've gone to using language like pregnant people. <laughs> Try as I might. Why did she keep getting pregnant? I was trying to get pregnant. What was I doing wrong? Nothing. I was doing a lot right. I had a great time. It was wonderful. I liked it a lot. Five stars. Five star review, folks. That's what I give it. All right? You want to know why? Because I know what it means to be a man, and my wife knows what it means to be a woman. When you get either of those two places wrong, you will enter into a life of chaos where misery soon will follow you all of your days. And we've seen this. When you deny the very foundations of biology where man and woman are concerned, mental illness is amplified so many times folded. Natural revelation reveals to us that when you consider what is a man and what is a woman to be hard questions you have to know that something has gotten very wrong with our faith jesus treats this as a simple issue but you have to understand where does jesus begin and where do you begin with a question like that see jesus begins with god yes he is god But he gives us a beautiful revelation here when he looks to the Pharisees who when they would ask a question about divorce, they want to start with themselves. Do you want to know one reason why you're miserable in marriage? Because you've defined it by your standard. Do you want your marriage to take on whole new meaning? When you ask, what's the purpose of my marriage? Don't begin with yourself. Don't begin with your needs being met. Begin with God. Ask yourself, why did God design marriage to work the way that it works? And that is what Jesus is doing here. When you ask the harder questions in life, and there are so many difficult questions in life, are you beginning from a standpoint that you are authoritative, or are you beginning with a standpoint that you must submit to God as authoritative? Because the outcome of those two postures can define the very reality that you are basing your life on if you're basing it on reality at all. Jesus brings in this conversation a presupposition that God's law is good. Do you understand that? God's law is good. He presupposes first that Genesis has authority, but then secondly, he presupposes that the design from Genesis is authoritative as God's law is authoritative in our lives. It is vital that we understand that Jesus viewed the law of God as good. First, because Jesus wrote God's law, so he's a big fan. And then second, because intrinsic in the design of man, or humanity itself, and the covenant of relationships is a natural law that's also authoritative. You say, I don't see uh, marriage from a foundational level in the Ten Commandments. Well, that's because you've reduced God's law to Ten Commandments when God's law is Genesis to Revelation. And it's a beautiful thing, and it's a good thing. When Jesus says, from the beginning, He's saying... The Genesis design for marriage, the Genesis design for male, the Genesis design for female, is a law into this world from God. You have to order your life around God's law, or you will be found morally bankrupt. Because to go against God's design is a very immoral act. In this case, Jesus begins with the authority of Genesis one twenty-seven. He notes that he made them male and female. In his image, he made them. But then he goes on in Genesis 1.31 to say something vital for us to understand what is going on in life. He says, creation is what? Good. Now sometimes when we read that, we're like, yep, the fish, good. The ocean, good. Light, good. And we look at all those other things. But understand, what did he create on the sixth day? He created male and female. So what is Jesus referring to in Genesis one thirty one as good? God's design for male and female. He's saying it is good. Therefore, to go away from God's design is what? Bad. You guys went to elementary school. I'm so proud of all of you. The opposite of good is always bad. To go against God's design is not good. It is bad. It is sin. It is against what God has made good. Therefore, number two this morning, male and female are non-negotiables of God's design. Non-negotiable. You cannot negotiate what God has made good and find yourself anywhere but bad. God authoritatively in the book of Genesis declared there would be male and female. In Genesis 1, God's response to that design was, was that it's good. What does that mean? It means it was as He intended. It means that it satisfied God to make male and female. He lays the foundation then in Matthew nineteen four for us to understand that nothing had changed. Even though a large span of time had taken place between Genesis 1 and Matthew 19, Jesus is saying, nothing has changed about how God feels about His original design. Do not go away from it. Bring yourself into submission to it, and you will find the life that you were designed to live. Any change would not be good. But we know what happened in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, humanity questioned God's design. God said, don't. Adam and Eve said, maybe we can when you question God's design, you are not going to get yourself to a good place where God is concerned. You're not going to get yourself to a good place where creation itself is concerned. When every humanity seeks to alter God's design, it goes against the very commands that God has given us. And what followed in Genesis 3 still haunts us to this day. Adam and Eve thought that they knew better than God, so they sought to subvert His design. And His authority is God, though. What does that mean? God's all-knowing. God's all-powerful. God's all-good. God's all-wise. God designed humanity to exist as either man or woman. To try to alter that is to question the very definition of who God is. Therefore, according to God's perspective, there are only two sexes. There are only two genders. When people claim that Jesus did not talk about this issue, they are ignoring the very idea that when Jesus states that something is to work one way, to go in the opposite direction is wrong. It's sin. And when you claim Jesus didn't talk about these issues, you are either ignorant of Matthew 19, or you are just being obtuse, which most people are. What Jesus states here in Matthew 19:4 and 5 then draws boundaries around the definitions of what it means to be male and female. And he uses that as a foundational element for how you can then define marriage. In other words, if you get Genesis 1 wrong, you will get marriage wrong according to Jesus because what happens in verses 4 and 5? In verse 4, he says, from the beginning he made them male and female. Then in verse 5, he flows naturally into the idea of marriage. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Why? Because God designed it to be that way. God designed marriage... To be, at least in part, a reflection of creation design of what it means to be a man and a woman. Therefore, to deconstruct and reconstruct marriage is blasphemy. It's blasphemy. It doesn't exist. Marriage was the first covenant that God made between humans and relationship together. To redefine that is to go completely against the design of God and to proclaim yourself as authoritative over this world and over your life. I don't know if you know this or not, but you're a terrible God. You're a terrible God. Your designs do not factor into what God is doing at all. And this is the foundational element. Then back in Genesis 1, when we go to the text surrounding the reality that humanity bears the image of God, and look at Genesis 1.26... Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now pause there. So what is God saying? For creation, He wanted a representative of Himself in the world. And so we don't begin by asking, well, what do I want to be in this world? Again, it doesn't start with you. It starts with God. God. What does God want you to be in this world? He wants you to reflect His glory to all of creation. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created a man in His own image, in the image of God He created him, male and female, He created them. Verse 28. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and what? Multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the dominion mandate. Begins with be fruitful, begins with multiply, and he continues to restate this even after the flood in Genesis 9. He looks to the family of Noah and he says, be fruitful and multiply. There has never been... A remaking of the dominion mandate because sin came into the world. That's why when people come to me and they say, Man, my wife's pregnant, I don't know how this happened. My response is typically, I've got a guess. <laughs> I know how it happened. God has designed for man and woman to come together, and it is a natural revelation that, biologically speaking, reproduction takes place when two become one. It's a revelation from God. He designed a really fun way for us to obey the dominion. Mandate. Therefore, our very identity is designed to be in submission to God's design. Further, the outcome of our design is dominion and stewardship over the earth. Then in Genesis 1.28, God notes that there is a practical element of this design. Reproduction takes place. Reproduction takes place. Now, we believe that we have transcended science where reproduction has taken place. But they still have to use something from a woman and they still have to use something from a man to make a baby. That is a revelation of God's design in this world. Are you adding this up? Biology works the way that it does for a reason. Male and female are designed the way that they are designed for a reason. When you redefine the sexes or the genders as coming together for a purposeless pursuit of pleasure under any design that humanity has in common, you throw off God's design in rebellion. Yes, that is sin. The very idea of it is sin. To redefine gender, then, is rebellion against God. Look at what Romans 1, 24 through 27 says, as it presents humanity in rebellion against God. Paul writes, and he says, "Therefore, because of sin, God gave them up, and the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonouring their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served creation excuse me, the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. It then notes that when you seek to live by new definitions of sexuality, you deceive yourself further away from God, and that itself is a judgment from God. God allows you to move further and further into sin and further and further away from Himself. If you ever notice, perversion is a slippery slope that always leads to more perversion. Sexual deviancy is a slippery slope that always leads to more deviancy. It does not stop. It continues to go on. God allows people to live in deception, thinking that they can do whatever they want, thinking they can define things however they want, God says in Romans 1, it's because you're under judgment that you think that. You think you are God because God is judging you that way. Because unless you repent, you will never be able to know the true God and you will fall under His judgment and condemnation for eternity. This concept is furthered by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6.9. He says, don't you know? That the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. And he goes on with a bunch of other sins. But note where he begins with deviancy, because first that is where first that was where the church rather at Corinth was tempted. And that is where they were redefining it, and that is where they were getting it wrong. But for our culture, that is quickly the route we are going. Even within the church, many are beginning to question the good design of God. But I want to hone in on what specifically in verse 9, Jesus, through the Apostle Paul, is rejecting. First, he says, uses the term sexually immoral. Do you understand that the root term there is a term pornos? Pornos. That is where we get the term pornography. So we must realize that we devalue what it means to be human when we consume pornography and fornication and entertain or engage, and then he goes to adultery, but then he goes to the engaging of homosexuality. Now, what's fascinating about the the terms that are used in the original language is first, understand that he's talking about both men and women. It was just in Corinth that it was an issue mostly for the men. But in the original language, those who practice homosexuality was two terms. The second term is koitai, and it just specifically means homosexuality. But before that, there is a term that many modern translations leave out because even Bible translators are absolute cowards. It's a term in the original language, malakoi, and in this context, it carries a meaning of men who are purposefully effeminate. This carries us into the idea of acting like or seeking to show forth the attributes of the opposite sex. This is against God's law. And you might say, so men are supposed to act different than women? <gasps> yeah. Whatever gave you that idea? <laughs> I don't know if you noticed or not, but... At some point, men's voices get deeper. At that same point, female voices don't get as deep. You have to understand that God's design is good, and He wants men to act like men. He wants women to act like women. And when we pretend that men can become women, we go into the concept of malakoy, and you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And it is hateful to hold that back in our culture we have to warn people this is against god's law deuteronomy 22:5 a woman shall not wear a man's garment nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak for whoever does these things is an abomination to the lord your god as that one time where my sister made me wear a dress blasphemer <laughs> how dare you <laughs> i kid But this is a very real problem in our culture. It's called gender dysphoria. And for many, it is a mental problem, but we must not treat it as though it should be entertained. It should be fully rejected. You cannot promote a healthy sense of how God made you by going into deviancy, by going into rebellion. Deuteronomy 22.5, what Jesus is saying in the New Testament is this applies to today. God's law is good. That is why men cannot become women. Women cannot become men. But we can also see this very revelation from science. Tony Reinke puts it this way. Chromosomes cannot be re-engineered, removed, or scrubbed from the software of our bodies. It may be possible for a trans woman to pass for a woman on the street at the visual level. But it is not possible for a man to morph himself into a biological woman with all the experiences and functions of natural femaleness. The biological narrative does not exist. While medical advances make it possible to suppress or change some of the outward appearances of our bodies and change our patterns of speech and dress, it is not possible to raise our bodies to the ground and rebuild them without shortcutting. All the essential formative experiences that make the biological sex expression and gender authentic. What that means is that at our base level, God has put his imprint in our coding to reflect his glory. This is foundational to what it means to enter marriage. You must be able to answer two questions to enter into marriage. I believe this. The first question what is a man? The second question, what is a woman? The inability to clearly answer that according to God's design means you cannot be trusted with anything. In other words, if you're looking at marrying somebody and they can't answer that question, girls, don't marry them. Guys, don't marry her. They're going to take you down a very dark path of rebellion against God. Third, the foundation for culture is built on God's design for marriage the foundation for culture itself is built on God's design for marriage. God's design is good. God has given me two sons. God's design for them is good. He's given me a daughter. God's design for her is good. He made me a man. Therefore, guess what? I love being a man. If he has made you a woman, guess what? You should love being a woman. I can't love being a woman. And the minute I start saying I love being a woman, leave quickly. (laughs) I'm not a woman. I am a man. And we live in a society that seeks to destroy masculinity. Don't let them do it. There's no such thing. I've said this many times. As toxic masculinity. If it's toxic, it's not masculinity, it's sin. And men need to repent of anything toxic. But masculinity is a design of God. Men should not be ashamed of being a man just because there's a bunch of morons out there doing stupid stuff that they're gonna go to hell for. I love being a man, it's great. I'm stronger than my wife. Now, some of you, (laughs) God bless me, I don't know. Either that or Golden Corral did it. (laughs) But being a man is a good thing. And if you are a man, love being a man, embrace being a man, embrace masculinity, walk around like a man. And if you are a woman, do the same. Don't devalue femininity. Embrace femininity. Love femininity. Love being in a woman. If you say femininity too many times, it's going to become a tongue twister, so I need to stop. (laughs) But God has made two genders, and He made both of them beautiful, and He made them to come together in marriage. He made them to come together to be one. There is no way to faithfully read scripture and walk away with any view other than that being that God made male and female that biology reflects those characteristics that both are purposed in reflecting the glory of God to creation and that God designed marriage for one man and one woman for a whole lifetime that is the ideal of scripture there isn't another one genesis 2:23 is where Jesus sources this idea from 23 to 25. Then the man said, when he's looking at Eve, his wife, he says, "...this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman." Whoa, man. "...because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed." God made woman out of Adam's rib in order to show the special relationship that they would share in oneness through marriage. There's a reason that God did everything that He did the way that He did it. And in that text, when it says to hold fast to one's wife, it means Adam never let go of Eve. You are responsible for her. You have a privilege to care for her in your life. This is a lifetime commitment. And I love the fact that it says they were not ashamed because they had God's blessing on their union. This is God's design for marriage. And friends, here's the deal. It is the fundamental building block for society itself. When we redefine this, we destroy society. To act as though this is not a big deal... Is to act as though righteousness, the call to love your neighbor, is not a big deal. Over the last year, we've heard so much from so many about what it means to love your neighbor that's not even spelled out in Scripture. Yet many refuse to advocate for what God makes clear in Scripture right here. To engage in sexual immorality, perversion, any form of deviancy, is unloving to your neighbor because it seeks to destroy what God has made holy. To reject God's design then, and listen closely, to reject God's design is to reject Jesus Christ. There's simply no way to put on kid, kid gloves here. To redefine what God has defined as sin. To willingly ignore the design of God for the uniqueness of male and female and the righteousness of marriage is to ignore the very foundation upon which God puts society. Friends, if you have waffled on these issues, friends, if you are struggling in sin in these areas, if you're struggling and you're saying, but I'm being tempted in this direction away from God's design, I have good news for you. Redemption is there. If... You will repent of your sin and trust in Jesus Christ. I will not be vague about this. Homosexuality in any form of changing or redefining gender is sin and must be repented of if you are going to follow Jesus. To reject the teachings of Jesus, let's be honest here. If you reject what he teaches, you can't follow him. You have to embrace what he teaches, you have to submit to what he teaches. But His grace is there for you. God's grace is sufficient for you. God's design is glorious for you. Trust Him and reject the lies. And next week, we're going to have part two of this. And we're going to talk about marriage and divorce. And so we're going to go deeper into these issues. And some of you might be saying, but I need to know more. Come back next week. But I've got a few application points for you. First, And I cannot overstate this because this is how society is being corrupted right now. Refuse to accept that subjective truth exists. Refuse to accept it. When anybody says my truth, tell them they're wrong. You're like, well, that would be awkward. Yeah. But they need you to tell them they're wrong. If somebody says, oh, that's your truth, say, no, 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 truth is truth. Do not give in to the idea that truth can ever in any way Be subjective, because that is to deny God's very definition of reality itself. Second, God's design and purposes are binding. They're binding. They're binding. You can give a dog cat food, but you're not making that dog a cat. All right? We clear? Third, embrace biblical masculinity and femininity. Embrace it. Embrace it. Embrace it. Fourth, and some of you are going to struggle here. If you think, well, what is Steve saying to me there? I'm calling you to a sacrifice here. Train, example, and celebrate two genders to the next generation. Reject any acronym that would put it on any spectrum. There is man, there is woman. That's it. And you need to train your children this. Friends, you need to understand that their teachers are going to try to train them the other direction. They're going to. They've admitted to as much. You cannot trust them to do the right thing here. You have to teach it yourself. And finally, you are not your own. You belong to God. Therefore, if you seek to redefine what God has already defined, you are only going to harm yourself. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Every Sunday, we reflect on the Lord's Supper. The packet in front of you has bread on the top, that represents the broken body of Christ. The juice in the cup represents his shed blood. Jesus died so that you could be redeemed from sin. The implications of that are massive. Friend, if you will trust in Jesus Christ, He will save you. And if you are in here and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this meal is for you. Eat, drink, proclaim your faith to everyone around you, but understand that this is a God that you are giving the entirety of your life to. When you're ready, proclaim your faith. (laughs) you <laughs>